not impossible. That's what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks today and Christmas Eve and Sunday morning, Christmas Day, and then January 1st as well, looking at a number of statements from the birth narrative of Jesus and saying, uh, that feels impossible to me. But could it be that God would come through in a profound way in our lives and uh, the very things that He says in the Scriptures at the birth narrative are not impossible for us, that we could experience the kinds of things that the angels said. This morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, if you want to turn there with me. And we're going to look at the story of the angel with Joseph in just a moment. But before I read that, and before we tell that story, let me start off by, by sharing a little story from my background. Years ago, I got to know an older woman who had this deep, very, very profound relationship with Christ. And she was the kind of woman that she spoke, and, and everyone listened to what she said. She was able to teach everyone. She was a, a mentor to my wife, and, and she was someone that, again, every time she spoke, I felt like just pearls would come out of her mouth. And uh, she said one day to me, I said, how is church for you today? And she said, you know, Adrian, my church is basically dependent. My experience of God on Sunday morning at church is basically dependent on how much I worship God before I even got to church. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, she unpacked that a little bit for me, and as I listened to her, I came to understand that, that, that she really worships God before she comes to church on Sunday morning such that she would see uh, what she experiences in a different way through different lenses when she gets here. And she unpacked that a little bit, and what became clear was as she would prepare herself for worship on Sunday morning, before she even got here, the difference maker became how she met with God. And when she met with God ahead of time, she might come and sing songs that that maybe were the songs that she would prefer in the styles that she would prefer, or maybe not. But the music didn't so much uh, become about her musical preferences at that point, it became an opportunity for her to, to sing praise to God, to worship and to give thanks to God. And she explained that when she'd come to church, the, the message wouldn't be so much about the silver, silver-tongued messenger, or not, as in my case, but it would be about the message. Not about the messenger, but about the message, you see. And her worship would dictate that. And uh, her experience of people would not so much be about, uh, these are the people that I like, and these are the people that I don't really like, but these are people who are made in the image of God, and so how can I bless them today? She just had this different insight that was, if I prepare myself for church on Sunday morning, it leads to profound worship and a different experience of people around me. And I thought about that as it relates to Christmas, and I found that the same thing is very much true for me on Christmas, and maybe you'd agree, that to the extent I prepare myself for Christmas, I worship Christ on Christmas. But to the extent that I just kind of fall into the Christmas holiday, I can easily be swept up in it all. I want to really encourage you, this coming week, prepare yourself for the celebration of Christ who has come. Bathe yourself in prayer. Uh, go through the birth narratives in Matthew and in Luke 
And as you read through them, maybe ask God that these would be true for your life, that good news of great joy for all people would be for you, that peace on earth, goodwill to men and women would be for you, that Emmanuel, God with us, would be experienced by you. And my sense is, at least in my past, that when I prepare myself that way for Christmas, not just with the lights, not just with the presents, not just with the commerce, that all has its proper place. When I I prepare myself that way for celebrating, once again, the advent of Christ, I have a completely different experience of Christmas. To a large degree, we will get out what we put in, in terms of preparation, over this next week. So as you prepare yourself, I I, I pray that we would prepare together that God might do that which seems impossible for us. Again, we'll talk about that over these next couple weeks, even into January 1st on New Year's Day. We'll stay in this series. But today we're going to talk about peace with family. And I just want to acknowledge in the front end that peace with family seems impossible, doesn't it? Can I get an amen from anyone? I mean, for many of us, you come into the holidays and you say, oh, come on. It's going to be the same way it's always been. And I want to suggest to you that that's not impossible. That peace with family, at least the beginnings of peace, is possible here in these weeks to come. We tend to think of that very first Christmas as serene. Our nativity sets tell us so. It wasn't. It wasn't serene. It was difficult. That first couple was very, very poor. Poverty was grinding no matter what the century you live in. It is today and it was then. The first situation for that first couple was anything but serene. Mary would have inevitably, as the scriptures tell us, been scared. She was frightened. She comes and and learns that she is with child and she can't figure out how. She would have been frightened. Joseph would have had uh, a mix, probably, of emotions from anger to sadness to the feeling of betrayal and certainly the feeling of fear as well. There's no question in this story that we're about to read, he was thinking about divorce. I was talking with my five-year-old boy Silas about this after church a couple Sundays ago, and downstairs with the kindergartners anyway, they went through the story in which the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she is with child. And so Silas, our five-year-old, was teaching that to Susie and me after church. I'm so grateful for our kids' programs downstairs, all the wonderful teachers and helpers that bring it in an age-appropriate way for our kids each week. And on this particular Sunday, again, Silas was learning about the angel Gabriel telling the news to Mary, and Mary was scared when she heard that she would be, that she would be with child. And I said to Silas, well, of course, I would have been scared too. Imagine that, Jesus, the Son of God, in your belly, Silas, wouldn't you have been scared? And he looked at me with his big, beautiful, hazel eyes. You ever seen my son's eyes? Well, I'm partial. He looked at me with his big, hazel eyes and, and, and kind of quizzically and like, Dad, what are you talking about? And he, he said, Dad, you shouldn't be scared. That's, that's God's son. And she's God's teenager. You should be happy, not scared, Dad. Okay, preach to me, Silas. I would have been frightened, boy. I would have been scared. And we all would have been 
as well. There's a great deal of fear for this first family. And yet, the Christmas story concludes in the manger by saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men and women on whom His favor rests. To you, Joseph, to you, Mary, peace is possible. I'd like to suggest through a very, very practical passage here, Matthew 1, 18-25, that peace with family is possible this Christmas, but you've got to prioritize it. It won't happen accidentally. You won't just slip into peace with family. You've got to prioritize it. And if you're someone who takes notes, or even if you're not someone who takes notes, I encourage you to take notes though this morning. This will be a really practical message with numerous insights on how you can pursue more peace with family or friends or coworkers, whoever it might be, because again, we won't just slip into peace with the people that we love the most. It will take a priority on our part. Matthew 1, starting at 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, as we explore this passage, would you please teach us? This is a difficult topic for many of us because many of us would admit that we don't have peace with all the family that we wish to have peace with. So we pray, God, that you would teach us from Joseph's story. Lead us this morning. Guide us from your word. Grant us courage to be obedient wherever you call us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable. In your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if you want to pursue peace with family this Christmas, at least the beginnings of peace, I think we learn from Joseph that we prioritize kindness over rightness. It's really easy to prioritize the way that I am right and you are wrong. But what we see from Joseph was a just, righteous man who prioritized kindness. Think about the embarrassment this man is facing right now. In the ancient Jewish world, young men and young women were pledged to one another, and the word was betrothal. It was even bigger than our engagement. 
It was a, a pledged commitment that they would even call each other husband and wife at this point. And parents would kind of arrange these marriages such that they would get to know each other ahead of time. And then they would be betrothed to each other. And they'd go through a year of preparation before their wedding was actually consummated with the party and then sexual relations. Over the course of a year, they would have no sexual relations. Before that, they would have no sexual relations. They would develop a friendship with each other. We can learn much from that. They had this, this tightness, this bond of relationship during the betrothal period where they're, they're getting to understand she is learning what it means to be a godly wife. He is learning what it means to be a godly husband. And then after a year, they would have the party and they would consummate their marriage together by sleeping together. But a few months into this betrothal period, Mary turns up pregnant. Now what's the family and the friends thinking at this moment? Where's Las Vegas when we need it? Or that little cheat. Or worse, Joseph, just wash your hands of her. Be done with her and leave her to take care of that baby on her own. And verse 19 says, Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he also had in his mind, she cheated on me. I had the self-restraint to wait. She did not have the self-restraint to wait. I honored our vows. She did not honor them. It's painful. It was a time of incredible grief for him. Now, where did he go in his heart with this grief? Uh, he, he, uh, he didn't post the affair on Facebook. He didn't drag her name through the mud for all of Carney, I, I mean Nazareth, to see. He didn't shame her. He resolved in his heart, being a just and obedient and faithful, God-fearing man, he resolved in his heart to go to her quietly. He resolved in his heart not to, to shame her. You, you see, he understood that he was hurting but also, she was hurting. He didn't want to add to her hurt, so he said, I'll go to her quietly. I think Joseph understood what we all must understand is that betrayal is an opportunity for redemption. Sometimes even when we are betrayed, that becomes God's great opportunity for us to pursue the beauty of redemption. And this goes to the cross, that we betrayed God and He came and He redeemed us. you got to understand, there was so much disparity between men and women back then. Men always had the power. There's still some disparity in our culture between men and women, but I think we've obviously made a whole lot of progress. Back then, there was complete disparity between the two. There was a power differential such that if he wanted to, he could have ruined her easily and quickly for good. But he goes to her, at least in his heart, at least in his mind. When he hears this news, he says, I'm going to go to her quietly. I'm going to confront her. I don't want to ruin her life. This begs the question for me, if he had that kind of response, what is my response going to be this Christmas? When I have people in my life, as I'm sure you all do as well, who I don't always get along with, 
And I know there's at least one person in my family that there's a little bit of tension in our relationship. And there probably will be an opportunity for a conversation that won't be that easy this Christmas time. And I can either step away from that and ignore it like I've done in the, t- in the past, or I can step into it and ask God to give me courage to deal with it. And if you want to step into it and ask God to give you courage to deal with it such that you could actually pursue peace as opposed to just pretending things are right when we all know that they're not right, you know what I'm saying? I'd like to give a few suggestions on how we can pursue kindness rather than righteousness. First, let me just speak to that idea of prioritizing kindness. We have this uh, tendency to get way too much value from being right. And and, uh, Paul would speak to that when he says, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What, What he's saying there is don't get value from being right and showing other people that they're wrong. Okay, instead, let's follow the way of our God who says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Kindness has a way of softening hearts and leveling the playing field. We just choose to be kind to those who may be opposed to us. Then, here's a few other possible principles to consider. Never publicly seek confrontation. This, of course, is to state the obvious, but you never deal publicly with what should be dealt with privately. Uh, It could be that at your Christmas dinner table, politics will come up. It could be that at your Christmas dinner table, some kind of financial conflict will come up, and there's 10 people around that table. That's a good time to say, could we talk about this later? You never deal publicly with what should be dealt with privately. And if you have some kind of tension with someone in your family, you say, how could I find a time? God, would you please grant a time that I could pursue peace with this person through a private conversation? Uh, Third, you want to come prepared with peaceful statements. I was talking with Pastor John Watson about this last week, and John's our pastor of life groups and and care ministries here, and he shared that he and Grace, when they have tension in their family with other people in their family, they come prepared to those gatherings with peaceful statements. What are some compliments that you can give to someone that you're at war with? What are uh, some statements that you can give to kind of level the playing field with people before you get into some kind of issue? How can you be thoughtful and conciliatory ahead of time and pave that ground? Finally, use I statements instead of you statements. When we're dealing with tension, when we're dealing with conflict, the easiest thing for us to do is blame other people for how we're feeling. Have you ever done that? Guess what? No one else is responsible for how you're feeling. You're responsible for how you feel. I'm responsible for how I feel. And so it's much more productive, well, when I say to my brother, you know, we've had some tension here. Can we sit down and maybe I could just share with you some of what I have been feeling? And I'd love to hear what you've been feeling as well. We had a recent funeral in our family, for example, you might say. And that family has left some residual tension between brothers and sisters, between mother and son. Can we sit down and talk about that? We feel this, and can I share with you what I've been feeling? Can I hear what you have been feeling? You see, the problem with saying you statements, you've done this to me, you did this to our family, you did this with our finances, is people immediately get defensive when they hear that. 
And as soon as they get defensive, their porcupine needles go up and you just start fighting with each other again. And it's just a repeat of what has happened in the past. And so you own your own feelings. This is what I feel. Can we sit down and talk about this? Again, I think Joseph leads the way with this when he says, I am deeply hurt, but you know what? She is hurt as well, so I'm going to deal with this quietly so as not to shame her. I'm going to go to her and think win-win and seek kindness over rightness. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I know that I can't do that on my own. Anyone else? Can you do that on your own? This is a time for prayer. You've got to go into your family gatherings prioritizing prayerfulness. This is not the time to skip your family devotions. This is not the time to skip your individual devotions. Sometimes we tend to go on vacation and say, oh, I can kind of just check out from all of my regular routines. Family gatherings are the last time to check out from your devotions. We need to be prayed up as we go spend time with family because we're going to deal with things that are real challenges. And so I would really encourage you, if you're going to be visiting well with family any number of times over the course of these next couple of weeks, spend 10 minutes at the very least on those days before you visit them asking God to prepare your heart to, again, prioritize kindness rather than rightness. Asking God to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit. Asking God for His help to demonstrate love to those that you might be dealing with that could be difficult. Those 10 minutes of preparing yourself are way more important than cleaning the house. They're way more important than preparing another appetizer. You want to see God answer prayer. It is stunning to me how often God softens our hearts when we come before Him and say, this is something I'm struggling with. I have this character weakness. God, would you soften my heart? I choose to abide in you, Lord Jesus. You might read John chapter 15, which says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do... Yeah, that's Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing of spiritual value. So abide in me, and then through me, you can begin to bear much spiritual fruit. If we don't pray over these situations with mom and dad, if we don't pray over these situations with our sons and daughters, then we'll just kind of revert and default to the ways that we've always interacted with those people. And that's allowing life to happen to us as opposed to proactively prioritizing what we want to be as we follow our Christ. Think about this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so you just pray. God, would you give me love for my sister who's kind of hard for me to love? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so you pray. God, when my dad makes a snide remark at me, would you please help me to have self-control in response? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. So as things start to go awry here, God, would you please grant me the grace to become a peacemaker in this situation? And our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond whatever we could ask or imagine. You can see God answer prayer for you in those very moments as we prioritize prayer. Peace is possible with family this Christmas, but you've got to pray for it. Third, we've got to prioritize obedience, especially when it's hard. 
And again, we see that from Joseph in this story. You look at his obedience, it's truly stunning. He learns, verse 23, from the word of Isaiah, the, the great Old Testament prophet, as it's spoken now through this angel of the Lord. Verse 23 in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a quote from Isaiah 7. This is the word of God. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife. Against every piece of advice from family, against every potential mockery that he would later hear from his friends, he did the very hard word of the Lord. I, I love that he gives us this example, that we are to prioritize obedience, particularly when it's most difficult for us to do so. I'd ask you, what do you know that God's word would command you to do in order to pursue peace with someone this Christmas? What's one thing that you know God's word would command you to do in order to pursue peace with someone this Christmas? I wish the Bible would say, blessed are the peace lovers. And because we all love peace, right? We'd all love to have more peace with our family. We'd all love to have more peace with our coworkers. We'd all love to see peace in South Sudan where there's civil war once again. We'd all love more peace. But the Bible doesn't say, blessed are the peace lovers, does it? The Bible says, blessed are those who go out of their way to interrupt gossip. Blessed are those who go out of their way to break down triangles in families. The Bible says, blessed are those who go the extra mile. Blessed are those who forgive who have been forgiven. Blessed not are the peace lovers, but blessed are the peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And it's difficult to be those who wage for peace, who make the effort for peace. But this is part of God's great calling for us, that as we have been forgiven, so also we pursue forgiveness with others. The Bible is so explicit about this in so many different places. One of my favorites is Romans 12, 19-21. It says this, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you. Oh, my. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you and me, live at peace with all people. I love that word, bud, because it tells me, Adrian, go the extra mile for peace with your brother. Now, you've got to understand, Adrian, that it takes two to tango, so you may not be able to go all the way. He's going to have to meet you at least part of the way, and you cannot guarantee that you will get peace because you went after peace. But so far as it depends on you and me, Christians say, yes, please, God, grant me the grace, grant me the strength, grant me the self-control to go after it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, th- these are God's words. These are not my words. They lead to life and peace for all involved. I think it's really important whenever we talk about peace with family, peace with coworkers, whenever we talk about forgiveness or reconciliation, that we do spend a little bit of time clarifying what reconciliation does and what it doesn't do. Okay? Reconciliation is so powerful, but because it enables us to get on the same page and bury the hatchet and at least meet together. What reconciliation does not do is always bring complete resolution. 
What reconciliation does not do is always restore trust. I wish it always did, but it doesn't always restore trust. Reconciliation does not mean that there will be no boundaries. There still needs to be boundaries with people that have hurt you badly. But one of the things, though, that reconciliation does is it frees us, doesn't it? It it prevents other people from capturing our tomorrows because of what they've done to us yesterday. It prevents other people from capturing our today based on what they did to us yesterday. Reconciliation interrupts what happens in all of our minds when we rehearse and rewind and replay that bad experience when someone hurt us and that's all we're thinking about whenever we're with them. Reconciliation enters in and it stops that such that we are liberated from that kind of bondage. You see, it's God's gift to us that we would make peace with all people so far as it depends on us. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren puts it. He says, are you allowing other people who have hurt you in the past continue to hurt you now? Every time we rehearse and replay in your mind what happened, you allow them to hurt you again. That's dumb. (laughs) Resentment is self-destructive because it always hurts you most and prolongs your pain. Friends, when it comes to peace with family, so much of God's word would invite us to proactively be reconcilers and forgivers, to take the high road, to go the extra mile as Joseph did, to forgive, to prioritize that even for our own benefit. And other people will be blessed in the process as well. Now again, it won't happen accidentally. We got to prioritize these things and we got to say, okay, with Joseph, you did the hard work. God will do the hard work and obey these more difficult words though, that you've given us to do. And finally, I think that we learn from Joseph, prioritize an attitude that says think the best. On your outline it says proactively. But proactively, prioritize thinking the best of others. Prioritize trusting others and recognizing that you don't know all that is going on in their lives. I know some of you are entangled messes with some people in your family. And some of you can't stand even getting together with family for, for the holidays because things have gotten so tangled over so many years and the holidays just feel painful. And I, I've been in some tangled messes of relationships in the past as well. And uh, I, I'm reminded that as I reflect on those, I've had to just pause and think the best about people with respect to things that I don't know what is really in their lives. I, I was reflecting on this well with a coworker from a few years ago, not here. I never have any conflict with anyone here. But a coworker a few years ago, and uh, we just couldn't see eye to eye. And it got to such a point that uh, I couldn't even remember why we were frustrated with each other. Have you ever been there? It just is back and forth, and we, we, we couldn't get on the same page. And in the midst of that, I had a friend who was dealing with the same stuff at work, and it got so toxic for him in the workplace that they had to have a meeting in the conference room where they brought in a professional mediator to help them work through their problems together. And this friend sent me a photograph of the, the sign that they saw as they went into the conference room to begin dealing with the issues they had and work toward peace. And I held on to that sign, I remember it frequently, and it looks like this. 
Is that not truth? Every single person that we come in contact with this holiday season has so much more going on in their lives than we realize. We can only know a sliver, oftentimes even of our families. And so be kind. I remember when I got that photograph, it just pierced me to the heart. And it still is an arrow to my soul. And as I think about that with respect to conflict, it produces a different level of empathy for other people because I only know so much. You know, as we reflect on the Christmas story, uh, do you think Joseph continued to have some doubts? I think he probably did. Do you think he ever had to ask Mary, can you tell me again what happened here? Honey, I know, I know. It's not that I wasn't listening. I'm not like those other guys. I really was listening. It's just that every person I've ever met who turned up pregnant, it didn't happen this way. So could you please explain it to me again? I guarantee you doubt it. I guarantee you felt great frustration and fear, and I'm cert certainly felt mockery from some friends and family members. But then this just man, this righteous man, this prayerful, obedient man, he believed her, and he took her as his bride. And it, uh, it's just tremendous that he, he said, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to have to live with this, and people are going to ask me again and again, but I choose to believe the best. Love thinks the best. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes the best. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love believes the best. I pray that for you and your family. I pray that for my own family, that we would collectively believe the best about our family members this Christmas. That we would ask God to give us wisdom for the difficult conversations that we might have to have. That we would ask God for the capacity to prioritize kindness and then to trust people with pieces of their story that we really can't understand. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the mighty example of Joseph. What a man he was. Thank you, Lord, that Joseph and Mary said yes to you when the easiest thing would have been to resist. On that first Christmas, they gave us the most beautiful picture of what obedience looks like. And we want to follow their lead. Father, I pray for all my friends here in this room that you would help them to pursue peace with family this Christmas. I ask God that you would grant them wisdom as they endure difficult conversations, as they endure differences of opinion and belief, as they seek the right time to courageously say, can we talk about how we have started to miss each other? 
Can we talk about the distance that has grown between one another? And Father, I'm not so naive to believe that peace will be completely found by every person in this room over these next two weeks, but I am hopeful that you're able to do the impossible and actually start, start out for us what we're talking about today, bringing about the seedlings of peace for so many relationships in this room that we're thinking about right now. I pray that you do it in my home. I pray that you do it in our homes. I pray that you would give us the courage not just to be peace lovers, but to be peacemakers. And Father, I pray for those for whom the holidays are just so hard. Getting together with family feels like a time of grief. It is a grief as they reflect on the loss of loved ones for many of us in this room. I pray, God, that in spite of all of that, these next weeks would give us surprising dose of good news, of great joy, peace on earth, goodwill to men.